Brent. It's week six. This is the Burgundy Blogcast, and the Redskins just got their first win of the season. Would you look at that? Woohoo! <sighs> the crowd goes wild. The Redskins are one and five after defeating the lowly, previously winless Miami Dolphins by a single point. I thought about just skipping this week's podcast altogether, to be completely frank with you, because, um,. I don't know. I just don't really know how much I'm still feeling it right now. It's kind of hard to get into this season right now. I mean, I know, I guess technically there's a lot going on. There's a new interim coach. This was his first game. Of course, this is the first win. I'm supposed to be very interested about all these little details right now, I guess. But I don't know. Uh, Maybe if you're like me, you are just kind of over it. Plus, I am out of town on vacation with my family. I don't have my nice microphone. And therefore, this episode might sound like crap in addition to being somewhat pointless. But we went out to a nice dinner. I got a couple cocktails in me. Kids went down easy, and I decided I'd give it a shot. So here it comes, my explanation for why this was one of the weakest and dumbest wins any football team has ever had. So the Dolphins, of course, are actively tanking. They are trying their absolute hardest, at least their front office is, to obtain the number one overall pick in next year's draft. Their plan for this, of course, included hiring a new coach with no head coaching experience and trading away most of their veterans who actually deserve to be starting for any NFL team. They also were content to enter the season without a legitimate starting quarterback, first trotting out Ryan Fitzpatrick before benching him after a few games, and more recently experimenting with Josh Rosen, who's been flatly dreadful. They, of course, got out to an 0-5 start, not unlike the Redskins. And then today, they deactivated, ostensibly for injury, their best defensive back, Xavier Howard, and probably their second-best receiver, Jakeem Grant. Therefore, I would say that today's version of the Miami Dolphins has at least a decent case for being the least talented and or least competitive football team ever fielded in the regular season. The Redskins beat this team by one point on the last play. Get it? I mean, I know they say a win is a win is a win, but that's not true. This was the worst win you could have. The weakest and least impressive win any team could possibly muster. Put that into the context of a season that is already lost, and therefore even getting into the win column is basically meaningless. And now you've got a thoroughly unimpressive win that costs your team precious draft position, being that you're definitely in the top 10 and possibly in the top 5. Also, your crappy journeyman starting quarterback starting quarterback, who definitely will not be with the team next year, has now lengthened his own leash while the first-round rookie languishes on the bench, stagnant in his development. And the cherry on top is that now your idiot team president will feel empowered to use this first win as validation of the team's has-been new head coach and his window-dressing practice improvements, including better positioning of the exercise bikes. That's right, this damn win probably bought Bruce Allen two more years as team president, definitely will make his every press conferences, and Bill Callahan's, all the more insufferable for as long as we are stuck with them. And very well may, if indeed this ends up being the only win, or one of only two or three wins this year for the Redskins, represent the last unclearable hurdle standing in the way of a completely necessary full team reboot. So again, what we have here is the weakest possible win at the worst possible time. Indeed proving that the Redskins can't even lose properly. To read any of the 
online or newspaper or magazine articles about him this past week leading up to his first game as head coach of the Redskins, you'd have thought Bill Callahan was an actual genius. The Post actually wrote an article about him referring to his, quote, beautiful mind. Over those several days, I read and heard all about his obsession with detail, his ingenuity in designing a state-of-the-art new blocking sled, his preoccupation with the finest nuances and subtleties of the NFL game and of each individual, infallible offensive play call he designed in his garage. He, of course, designed and executed a short-term plan to immediately improve the team's conditioning, mental toughness, balance, nutrition, dental hygiene, public speaking skills, and relational empathy. What a godsend! How could the Redskins have been so lucky to chase away that monster and lifelong loser, Jay Gruden, and replace him with an actual brilliant human in Bill Callahan? Actually, uh, Bill Callahan is a coach who did previously have a head coaching stint with the Raiders and did, in his first year, take someone else's team to the Super Bowl, but in his second year, managed to take that Super Bowl competitor and go 4-12. and Then he had four disappointing years as the head coach at Nebraska, and otherwise he has been a well-respected but not world-beating position coach in the NFL with a reputation for lacking the requisite social skills. Bill Callahan is not the answer. I mean, good for Bill for getting the Redskins their first win today. He is not going to turn the Redskins around in 2019. And if they try to act like he's a legitimate candidate to take the head coaching gig on full-time, permanently, in 2020, my head will explode. He is a low-ceiling retread. These players will surely say all the right things about his new practice style until the losing resumes. So please don't allow Callahan to be part of you falling for Bruce Allen's shameful blaming of Jay Gruden for all or even a majority of the Redskins' current problems. Case Keenum got back into the saddle today. Thank you, Bill. He did throw two touchdowns to Terry McLaurin, and his passer rating was pretty decent. I think it was near 100. He also, though, again, looked very much like exactly what he is and what we've seen through half a dozen games, a well-below-average NFL starter. He's going to miss a handful of wide-open throws and important throws every game. He's going to get balls tipped because he's short, and he's going to go long stretches of several possessions consecutively without managing even a first down. I'm just going to reiterate briefly, because I feel compelled to, that he has no upside. He's not worth investing in because he won't be here after this year, and he shouldn't be earning more starts by eking out tight wins over bad teams. Furthermore, almost everything I just said applies directly to Colt McCoy as well. Hashtag free Dwayne. All right, here's the part where I talk about a few things about the Redskins that actually did not completely suck today because, sadly, I have a commitment to objectivity. They did manage to cut down on the penalties a little bit. I think they had six. Believe it or not, that's an improvement. They still had more penalties for more yards than their opponent, but hey, I guess it's a step in the right direction. Overall, the pass rush today was better than it has been, at least in the first half. Allen got one. Ioannidis got one. Settle got one. I think I'm missing at least one. I even saw Ryan Han- uh, Anderson hit a quarterback pretty hard. All of this I feel very comfortable ch- chalking up to the Dolphins being terrible on the offensive line a lot more than the Redskins drastically improving on the defensive line or front seven. But it did happen, so I gotta admit it. Terry McLaurin, again, continues to just absolutely drip with baller sauce. If you subtract this guy, who literally no one, including the Redskins, expected to be this good, from the Redskins' current offense, it would be one of the worst in the NFL since the invention of the forward pass. Peterson had a good day today. He went over 100 yards, and he looked, I guess, fine. But even with him on the team and being used, Terry McLaurin is the only key to moving the ball and scoring. It is unbelievable. Again, the Dolphins did not activate any cornerbacks today who deserve to be making money for playing the sport. But McLaurin has been doing this against everybody, including Stephon Gilmore, who might be the best corner in the game right now. He's got size, speed, hands, 
sick routes, and probably already the best attitude of anybody in that locker room. He is an incredibly bright spot on a very dark offense, and whoever is most responsible for him being drafted in the third round does, in fact, deserve maximum kudos. Lastly, Landon Collins finally showed up today. It only took a month and a half, and the team being practically eliminated, and also playing against a team of zombies. But he did step up. He had 10 unassisted tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, I think two passes defensed. So finally, a third of the way through his first season, he's uh, figured out how to look like the player they paid. I think it's important to keep in mind, for context on the coming point, that the Dolphins have the worst run defense in the NFL. Therefore, it is probably unintelligent to draw any conclusions about one's own running game and proficiency from one's performance against this defense. That said, again, Adrian Peterson did look a lot better today than he has really in any game so far this year. Callahan did, as he promised he would, hand him the rock. AP went 23 for 118, which is an average of over 5. And he did pop a few long ones. He's not completely washed up, but Jay Gruden is not wrong that he is still kind of a fossil. Better defenses will certainly find a better way to take him out. Should Jay Gruden have been using him more? Yeah, probably, because his quarterbacks are terrible, and Peterson is still pretty good. But the same canon should be said about Chris Thompson, who I believe Jay really wanted to feature, but just never really figured out how to. Anyway, this point is really just more of an observation that Peterson begged for it. He kind of ran his mouth about being underutilized. He successfully lobbied for more carries. And even though the Dolphins are effectively one big asterisk, Peterson did back up the talk. And for at least one game, Callahan kind of did back up his too. I'd like to mention Josh Rosen because he's a guy that a lot of people wanted the Redskins to trade for in hopes that he was a long-term solution at the QB position. Boy, he sure looks like he actually does suck. He holds the ball way too long, especially for somebody who started most of his rookie year. He just looks pretty bad, and whatever you think of Haskins, you got to be pretty happy the Redskins didn't trade a second to get Rosen, or God forbid a first. The Dolphins have absolutely nothing, and they're definitely going to be moving on from him next year already. Rosen looks like backup material, but with his reputation in terms of personality, you got to wonder if he's even going to want to be a career backup. I could see that guy being out of the league pretty soon and doing something completely different. Jason LaCanfora, our old buddy, dropped a skins nugget today prior to kickoff regarding his conviction for Dan Snyder's top choice, far and away it would seem, for head coach of the Redskins beginning in 2020, and that, of course, you know by now is Mike Tomlin current head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who has two years left on his contract there. This is shaping up to be, I think, Mike Tomlin's first ever losing season as a head coach. He, of course, did win a Super Bowl there. Many of you will dismiss this report out of hand because of your personal bias against Lacanfora, who, yes, in the past sometimes has been wrong about the Redskins, but has sometimes been very right. For example, I would say about the current Trent Williams situation. Anywho, this makes some sense, and I'm not dismissing it because it does kind of add up. Many other people have suggested for years that Dan Snyder had an affinity for Mike Tomlin. Tomlin, of course, is from the area, sort of. His family is still around. It does kind of seem or feel like there may be some change in the air in Pittsburgh, even though that is a franchise that prioritizes stability among or above almost all others. I joked about this on Twitter last week, but to me, the idea of being a head coach for the Steelers and then leaving that gig willfully to become head coach for the Redskins, I mean, that does not sound exactly like climbing the ladder. That's kind of like uh, you are at the top of the ladder, and then the bottom of the ladder caught on fire, and then also someone came in with a machete and chopped the middle of the ladder in half. So if Tomlin were to eventually turn out to be on board with this, I'm not really sure what that says. 
Maybe I'm missing something. Or maybe it would just have to be all about the money and power. But here's my opinion. I have always kind of liked Tomlin. I realize he is not a strong in-game head coach. I do think we just dealt with five-plus years of a fairly poor in-game head coach. Tomlin does not have a reputation for excellence in clock management, challenges, and or adjustments. But he does have a personality that I very much covet in a head coach. He's tough. He's cool. He's articulate. I think he's a good organizer and motivator. I would very much like for the team I root for to take on his personality. I don't think he had such sustained success by accident. I do think he has been put in a position to succeed by strong, well-founded, stable organization, and that he has been provided with good raw materials through the draft. Much of that credit belongs to Steelers GM Kevin Colbert. But here's my summary. I would not hate Mike Tomlin being the next coach of the Redskins. I would hate the Redskins having to part ways with even one high draft pick in order to obtain his services. And because he's got the two years remaining on his contract, it certainly seems like that will be part of the equation. Knowing what we know now, that the Redskins will be drafting very early on the first night of the draft, likely to be owners of a pick that could fetch for them or for someone else a franchise quarterback, or a legitimate scheme-altering receiver, pass rusher, or corner. To me, the idea that such a player would be foregone so that the Redskins could get Mike Tomlin, whose likelihood of success here under current conditions, i.e. with Bruce Allen still employed by the team, is only marginally higher, in my view, than that of any number of unproven wildcard type options. I do not like that idea one bit. I like Tomlin, but I do not like the idea of trading a very high pick to get him. Tiny footnote, in the very unlikely scenario that this somehow involves Bruce Allen being eliminated from the Redskins' front office, I reserve the right to reevaluate this position. But again, for me, if you trade a top five draft pick to bring Mike Tomlin in, I don't care if you name him head of football operations, if Bruce Allen is still team president or has a parking space at Redskins Park for any reason whatsoever, I am not on board and I would be very skeptical. In light of Lock and Fora's report, you should be aware that there exists from this very day conflicting ones coming from Adam Schefter and local reporter J.P. Finley with NBC Sports Washington, both of whom have heard from sources that the likelihood of the Redskins being able to acquire Mike Tomlin from the Steelers is extremely low and that we as fans should focus our attention elsewhere. Furthermore, Schefter reports that someone with inside the Redskins building offered up to him that the team will not even initiate its search for the next head coach until after the conclusion of this season. Taken at face value, this is super duper dumb. The Redskins should be initiating the hell out of that search right now. And maybe they are. Maybe Bruce or Eric or somebody with access to Schefter simply wanted to get out the message publicly that the Redskins have confidence in Bill Callahan and that they won't be actively undermining his authority for the next two and a half months. I guess that's possible, and if that's the reality, so be it. Maybe the report is not even worth reacting to. But I don't understand even why anyone should have felt it necessary to leak this information, whether it's truth, falsehood, or manipulation. Just shut your damn mouths about this kind of thing. You seem dumb. It makes you seem dumb, even if you think it makes you seem smart. You don't look good for announcing that you are self-imposing a late start on a big decision. Let us think that you are researching researching this diligently, effective immediately. You're already ahead of the game, that you've got a short list and a plan of attack. Don't let Schefter try to convince us, Bruce, that you're just going to stand pat and stand with Bill. Nobody's proud of that or happy about that. Trust me, we know that you can't get Lincoln Riley, and you probably can't even get, like, Eric Bieniemy. And it might be that your only chance is someone who's already worked for the Redskins 
or second best who worked for the Buccaneers, or promising someone a John Gruden-type contract for 15 years, $200 million, and control of the personnel department, and a stake in ownership, and a private island in the South Pacific. We know the reality and that that's how this works. But don't tell us that the one benefit to firing your coach after five weeks of the regular season, which was the right to earnestly and non-sketchily begin, non-sketchily? Is that a thing? The Redskins don't do anything non-sketchily. Anyway, don't tell us that you're forfeiting the right to get a head start, because we don't have much to take hope in these days. Last topic I want to touch on in this episode, and this is going to anger a lot of you, but I'm sorry, I have to bring it on this, is Dwayne Haskins and the concerning report about Dwayne Haskins dropped on Michael Lombardi's podcast in the middle of last week. A lot of you saw this on my Twitter feed. I posted about a minute-long clip of Lombardi blasting the Redskins and Bruce Allen, which he does habitually. And yes, we must acknowledge that this is his default state, hating the Redskins and aggressively criticizing Bruce Allen's Redskins. That exists, and you may filter his comments on Dwayne Haskins through that lens if you choose, although I shouldn't have to add that lately, aggressively criticizing the Redskins hardly makes you wrong. Anyway, in addition to saying that Lombardi, who has previously worked for long stretches with Rob Ryan at the Raiders, with Ray Horton at the Browns, and yes, with new coach Bill Callahan also at the Raiders for several years, in addition to reporting that one or more of those coaches have told Lombardi that the 2019 Redskins are as bad a place to work, as bad a football environment as they had ever been exposed to at the NFL level. In addition to that, Lombardi said that he has heard some very troubling things about Dwayne Haskins' mental and personal makeup behind the scenes, if you will. He said that one of his coaching contacts insists Haskins has been acting entitled, that his work ethic is questionable, and essentially that he's not coachable. I don't think any of you would object to the idea that if those things are true, we as Redskins fans have a very big problem on our hands. It should be assumed as a fundamental thing that your franchise quarterback needs to have those qualities, else he will not be your franchise quarterback for very long. The central issue here, I would think, is Mike Lombardi's credibility on the subject. And whether you think these remarks are born exclusively of Lombardi's disdain for Bruce Allen, or if... Frighteningly, they might be accurate reflections of internal feelings inside the Redskins facility about Haskins' ability to eventually become great. And I would just encourage you to ask yourselves this. You really think Michael Lombardi, who has previously worked for years side-by-side with Bill Belichick and Al Davis, would aggressively disparage not just the football skills or technique or athletic talent, but the personality and mental makeup of a 22-year-old kid while either dismissing or going directly against the first-hand accounts of this individual from multiple close friends with complete frames of reference for the sake of a few extra listens to his podcast? I think I know your answer to that question, and therefore I think that maybe this needs to be a tiny concern at the very least to all of us right now. I also think that the idea of one of those coaches saying those things about that person to that person is a big problem in and of itself and a symptom of the rare disease that has afflicted the Redskins for these 20 years of Dan Snyder ownership. (laughs) 